We are in a teaching series that is entitled, Teach Us to Pray. Last week was part one, and so we're going to do part two this week, and, and we'll wrap it up with part three next week. And, and what we're looking at in this teaching series is we're looking at the Lord's Prayer, which Jesus taught in both Luke chapter 11 and Matthew chapter 6. And then we're looking at um, uh, what that prayer teaches us is that prayer builds intimacy with the one you're praying to, with the one you're praying with, and with the one you're praying for. So last week, we focused on the one you're praying with, and we, we got real specific about praying with your spouse. And we looked at that praying with your spouse every single day is the single greatest tool we have to divorce-proof our marriages. And, and it was a great encouragement. Yes, that's good stuff. If you weren't here last Sunday, go to our website. You can listen to the sermon, or if, you're, if you do podcast, you can podcast the sermon and, and listen to what we taught last week on praying together with your spouse. But it's not just with your spouse. It also builds intimacy with everyone that you pray with. You have a small group of prayer, a, a men's group, a women's group that you pray with, people that you pray with. Uh, it builds intimacy. Today, we're going to look at the one you're praying to. And we want to look at how prayer builds intimacy with God the Father. And last week we talked about the balance between uh, praying corporately, praying with people, versus praying privately. We'll read Matthew 6, 6 here in just a moment where Jesus said, When you pray, go into your closet. And when you are alone in the secret place, pray, and God will hear you in secret. And so we want to balance corporate prayer, praying with people, with personal private prayer, praying alone. And that's going to be our focus today, is praying alone, and as we pray alone, that we build intimacy with the one that we're praying to, and that is God the Father. And what that means in our life, that we can build intimacy with God the Father. So let's start by going back to our core passage of Scripture, Luke chapter 11 and Matthew chapter 6. Let's read them together. And then we'll start breaking them down again. Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus teaches the same thing, but it's a little bit more fleshed out. Starting in verse 6, But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And so last week, we looked at number one, that we learn through modeling. 
And as Jesus modeled prayer for his disciples, and they desired to learn about prayer as they watched him pray, that we can learn the same way. That you get around people and you hear them pray and you just, you like their prayer life. You like how it sounds. You like what you experience. It's powerful. And you say, I want to pray like them. That you get around them and you listen to them pray. But it doesn't end there. You then have to practice. You have to mimic them. You have to practice it yourself as you develop your prayer life. But we learn through modeling. The second thing we looked at is the intimacy that we can have when we pray. Jesus said, say, Father. And that we want to have an intimate conversation with God. We don't have to use fancy words. We don't have to sound smart. We don't have to come up with a new vocabulary. Use the language you're most comfortable with, the vocabulary you're most comfortable with, and just talk to God the same way you would talk to anybody else. Have an intimate relationship with Him. And then last week, we looked at the use of us and our and we and ourselves. That when Jesus taught us to pray, he taught us to consider the big picture that when we're praying. It's not just me, 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 right? God, fix my problems. God, I want a motorcycle. God, I want a new surfboard. God, do this for me. But it's the big picture. It's us. God, I'm praying for your kingdom. I'm praying for all of your people. I'm praying for everyone that doesn't know you, that they might know you. God, would you move on our behalf, not just for me? So today, let's continue to look at what Jesus is teaching us here. So we left off in Luke 11, verse 2, when you pray, say, Father. And then let's continue the rest of verse 2. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Now, Matthew teaches it differently. He adds more words to it. It could be that Jesus taught it at two different times and he taught it differently, or it could be just the way that two different men recorded it. Luke was writing to Gentiles. He was writing just a straightforward historical biography. And so because he was writing to Gentiles, he didn't feel the need to use a lot more words. Whereas Matthew was writing to Jewish people, and maybe he felt the need to add more words so that Jewish people would receive it better. For example, we talked about how much of a dynamic shift it was for Jewish people just to address God as Father. Just to say Father was, was, was a whole different dynamic for Jewish people that were used to worshiping God from a distance. So in Matthew, it says, Our Father who is in heaven made it a little easier for the Jewish people to digest. Still called him father, but added a few more words in there so that it didn't feel maybe just too intimate, too much, too soon for Jewish people just to call him father or even just to call him Abba, which was an Aramaic word, a very intimate word to, to say daddy. Um, and then he also adds more words. And when he says, hallowed be your name, where Luke just says, your kingdom come, Matthew says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what is Jesus teaching us about prayer in these few phrases? Well, the first thing is this. He says, Father, hallowed be your name. What does that mean, hallowed be your name? For somebody's name to be hallowed, that word means to be glorified, to be lifted up, to be honored and respected. And so Jesus says, when you pray, 
say, Father, hallowed be your name, what Jesus is saying is that prayer starts with worship. Because to hallow the name of God is to worship God. It's to glorify his name, to lift up his name, to honor his name, to express your passion and your love for his name. That's all worship. So prayer begins with worship. So I want to encourage you, even in your personal private prayer time, when you go to pray, begin with worship. Now, that might mean begin with music, but I don't want us to get caught up in thinking that music is the only way to worship God. I think it's, it's the way for us that most connects to our heart, and so it's our most common way of worshiping, but it's not the only way. To worship God is to express your love for Him. You can do that in lots of ways. You can just do it in words without singing. You could write them a love letter. You could do it in your act of submission, in your act of service. There is lots of ways to worship God. But Jesus is teaching us that prayer begins with worship. And so in your private prayer time, I want to encourage you to develop a discipline of start with worship. Don't just start with asking for stuff. Start with lifting up his name. Start with worshiping him. If you've got some worship music on your phone, put that on. Sing a worship song to him. And then when you're in that place where your heart is stirred and you've hallowed his name, then you can enter into prayer. Right? I feel this way with my kids. You know what? When I come home, and when I come home, I've got a four-year-old that is just waiting for me. She's been waiting for me all day, and, and she hears the car coming up the driveway, and she is already down the stairs, and so the moment I open the front door of the house, there's my four-year-old standing on the bottom stair just waiting for me to walk in the front door, and I love that that she's there to greet me, but when I come in tired or it's been a long day and I just need to decompress, and that four-year-old, the first thing she starts doing is, Daddy, can we play a game? Daddy, will you play toys with me? Daddy, can we do this? And I'll stop her and I'll say, wait a minute, wait a minute. You haven't even greeted me. You haven't even said, hi, Daddy. You haven't even said you're happy to see me. You're just asking me for stuff. And so she'll stop and go, hi, Daddy. Can we play a game? Will you play with toys with me? But is that how God feels when we just show up asking him for stuff? We don't greet him. We don't honor him. We don't express our heart to him. We just start asking him for stuff. And that's why Jesus says, begin your prayer with this. Hallowed be your name. Begin your prayer with worship time. Begin your prayer with greeting God, sharing your heart with God, expressing your love to him, worshiping him. Start your prayer time there. And then he says, your kingdom come. Or in Matthew's expanded version, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is this? Well, anytime we talk about the kingdom of God, we're talking about the great mystery of the now and the not yet. The kingdom of God is here now. Jesus said when he was walking on the earth, the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus was bringing the kingdom of God with him. So the kingdom of God is here now, and yet there's also a not yet because we don't have the fullness of the kingdom of God. And we won't until the end times when the kingdom of God is established permanently on the earth. So when we talk about the kingdom of God, we always talk about the now and the not yet. And so 
When, when Jesus tells us to pray for the kingdom of God to come and for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, there is a now and a not yet component to that. We could be praying for the not yet part, which is God, bring your kingdom, let your kingdom come. God, come and establish your kingdom, your end time kingdom, where your will will be done perfectly. And then there's the now, which is God, can your kingdom come now? Can your kingdom come invade my life now? Can your kingdom come and advance in Kauai now? Can your will be done now? Can I come into alignment with your will here and now? And what does that mean? That means that in our personal prayer, there is an act of surrender and there is an act of faith. To have personal prayer time with God means that you are surrendering to his kingdom and his will. And let's be honest, that's why it's so hard to have a personal prayer time. It's so much easier to be busy. It's so much easier to watch TV. It's so much easier to just wake up half an hour later than to get up early and have a personal private prayer time with God. Why? Because it's an act of surrender. I have to surrender to his kingdom and his will. And my flesh doesn't like to do that. And so I have to be very disciplined about going to God and surrendering to him. And then it's also an act of faith. It is an act of faith to believe that if I go and pray, that God is actually going to move. That when I ask for his will to be done in my life, it's actually going to happen. When I ask for his kingdom to come to Kauai, it's actually going to come. John Wesley said this, the great preacher and, and evangelist and revivalist John Wesley said this, God does nothing except in response to believing prayer. We come, we surrender, and we have faith, and we pray, and then God begins to move in our life, in our community, in our church. So as we talk about personal private prayer and building intimacy with God, I want to look really quickly that Jesus set the pattern for this. Listen to some of these verses. Mark chapter 1 and verse 35 says this. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. And this is a big deal because what's happening right here when Jesus gets up and goes to pray alone? Revival is breaking out. The house where Jesus is staying, people are coming in floods. They're, the sick are coming and get healed. The demon-possessed are coming and demons are getting cast out. People are believing in the kingdom. People are getting stirred up. Revival is breaking out. And in the midst of revival breaking out, what does Jesus do? He sneaks out early while it's still dark outside, leaves the house, goes to a secluded place, and has a personal private prayer time all alone. He was willing to leave the party to go pray alone. He was willing to leave the noise to go get to a quiet place to be with God. The funny thing is, in the very next verse, his disciples go out there looking for him. Jesus, where are you? The party's in here. We want to see some more demons get cast out. We want to see some more people get healed. And Jesus said, no, I need to be out here in my quiet time. He set the pattern that even in the midst of great ministry, we've got to get away and have personal private prayer. In Mark 14, 23, listen to this. After he had sent the crowds away, he went up on a mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. He sent the crowds away. You guys need to leave 
I'm going to go have some alone time with the Father. You can come back tomorrow, but right now, I'm going to go be alone. And in Luke 9, 18, and it happened that while he was praying alone, the disciples were with them, and he questioned them, saying, who do people say that I am? One of the most intimate conversations he had with his disciples came out of a time of him praying alone. Jesus set the standard for praying alone. E.M. Bounds, who's an old writer, and, you know, I like reading old writers because when you read them, you just realize people don't talk this way anymore. You know, people just, he, they, they talked different back then. There was a little bit more poetry to, the, to poetry to the way they wrote. There was a little more depth to the things that they said. And, and so I love reading old books by E.M. Bounds. But he said this, Prayer is not learned in a classroom. It's learned in the closet. You're not going to learn to pray because you sat here and listened to me teach. You're going to learn to pray when you get alone in a closet somewhere and in your own personal private prayer time, alone with God the Father, you just begin to pray and you start to work it out and you don't know what to say at first and it feels awkward at first, but you just keep doing it a little bit every day. That's where you're going to learn to pray getting alone with the Father. So my first encouragement to you is this, is to find your closet. If it's literally a closet, that's okay. You get in there, slide that door shut, and you just sit in the closet. It doesn't actually have to be a closet, though. It can just be a place. It said Jesus went away to a secluded place. Jesus went up to the top of the mountain. Jesus went off to be alone. Your closet is a place where you can be alone with God the Father. And I encourage you to find that place. We live on Kauai. Man, there's a lot of beautiful places here where you can go be alone with the Father. If it's a place in your house, find a place in your house. One of the things I'm excited about about living in this parsonage is there's a little office attached to the master bedroom. And that little office is going to be my closet. I'm going to build a little desk in there, and that's going to be my war room. Man, I'm going to go in there and have some personal private prayer time with God. There's going to be a whole lot of prayer that happens in there. There's going to be a whole lot of sermon writing that's going to happen in that little room. That's going to be a powerful little place because that's going to be my place. And I'm excited about that. And I want to encourage you, find your place. That's the first step in developing your prayer life is find your place. And then make time to go to that place and to be alone with God. I want to give you three things today, three ways that personal prayer makes us more intimate with God the Father. And in all three of these, I'm going to look at Jesus as the example. Number one is this, it's pouring out our hearts. When we get alone with the Father, we can pour out our hearts. Listen to how Jesus prayed. This is Luke chapter 22. This is the end of the story. This is right before he's about to go to the cross. And even though Jesus knew from the time he was a young child that it was his destiny to go to the cross, it still freaked him out. He was still human. Even though he was God in the flesh, he was still human. And the thought of being tortured and crucified absolutely freaked him out. So in his state of panic and despair, what did Jesus do? He went to be alone with the Father. Listen to this, starting in verse 39. And he came out and he proceeded, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples also followed him. When he arrived at the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw. 
It's about as far as you can throw a rock. That's how far he got away from his disciples. Why? So he could be alone with the Father. He withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. And being in agony, he was praying very fervently. And his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. When he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping from their sorrow. Jesus, in his moment of greatest despair and greatest agony, went to be alone with the Father and poured his heart out to the Father. He said, God, if there's any other way you could do this, please do it. But if I have to do this, I'll do it. And then it says he just prayed fervently. It doesn't give us the words he said. But I can just imagine the emotional prayer that he had with the Father as he poured his heart out. Father, I'm scared. Father, is this too much for me? It says that his sweat turned into drops of blood. This is actually a medical phenomenon that under great stress, under great duress, blood vessels in your head will actually burst open and the blood will get into your sweat ducts and blood will come out your sweat ducts. So that means he was sweating blood. Why? Because he was so stressed out, he was so freaked out that blood vessels were breaking and blood was coming out of his sweat ducts. And in that moment of absolute desperation, he went to be alone with God and poured his heart out to God. And what did God do? sent an angel to strengthen him for the task. I want to encourage us that our alone time with God is our chance to just pour our heart out to God. It's not the time to be proper. We feel like we have to approach God in a certain formulaic, proper way. No, God wants us to be real. God loves it when in your prayer time, you're just, you're crying, snot bubbling, heart pouring out. God, I'm overwhelmed. I don't know what to do. God loves that. That's what he wants from us. If you have trouble expressing emotions, read the Psalms. Because the Psalms are people expressing their heart to God. And it's not all pretty. Some of it is, God, where are you? God, why have you forsaken me? God, why are you not coming through? God, why do I feel so alone? God, I'm depressed and empty on the inside. It's not all pretty. It's all hearts being expressed to God. And I want to encourage you in that private time, pour your heart out to God. And the more you do it and the more consistent you are, the more comfortable you are, you're going to have some emotional breakthroughs. And this isn't just for the ladies, guys. I don't care how tough you are. We need some emotional breakthroughs with God. We need some pouring out. And when we do that in that personal private time, God sends his angels to strengthen us for the task ahead of us. He sends angels to strengthen us for all that we need to accomplish. As husbands, as wives, as mothers, as fathers, as men and women of God in our workplace and all that we have to do, he will strengthen us for the task. The more you pour your heart out to God, the more intimacy you're going to develop with him, the more and more comfortable it's going to be to share your heart with him. Pour out your heart. Number two, as we, in our prayer time, we're building the intimacy with the Father. Number two is hearing his voice. We talked about this a little bit at Christmas time, that one of the, 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 the things about the incarnation, about God becoming flesh, and what Jesus had to sacrifice to become a human being one of those things is, is that when he was 
one in heaven as part of the Godhead, you know, he constantly knew the mind of God because he was one with God. As a human being, as God in the flesh, he actually had to go into private prayer time so that he could hear from the Father. That was part of his separation and becoming a human, is that he had to go into private prayer time to hear from the Father. So that even Jesus, God himself in the flesh, needed to hear from God. Look at Luke chapter 6. It was at this time he went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples to him, and he chose 12 of them whom he also named as apostles. Jesus had a following. He had all of these people that were following him, and he knew he needed to narrow it down. And this was normal of the rabbinic custom at this time in Jewish history. Rabbis who were the great teachers of God's word would have a bunch of people who wanted to be taught by that rabbi, but he would hand-select just some of them, and then those that he hand-selected would come and live with him and basically be with him 24-7 as he taught them the word of God. And so Jesus had these followers, but he knew he needed to choose his inner circle. He needed to choose those select 12. And when he had a big decision to make, what did he do? He went and prayed all night about it. Because he needed to hear the voice of God. He needed to hear from the Father which 12 he was supposed to choose. Consistent throughout the Gospel of John. If you read the Gospel of John, you'll hear it over and over again. Jesus says, I only do what I see the Father doing. I only say what I hear the Father telling me to say. I only do what the Father commands me to do. Over and over again, he says it. How does he hear all these commands from the Father? How does he get all these visions from the Father? In his personal private prayer time. He goes alone to hear from God. And when he hears from God, he can make those big life decisions. When he hears from God, he knows what he's supposed to do in ministry. He knows where he's supposed to go. He knows who he's supposed to minister to. And we can hear the same voice of God. That God would tell us what we're supposed to do. Who we're supposed to minister to how we're supposed to spend our day. But only if we spend personal, private time with God. And this is where the big question comes up. Pastor, how do I hear the voice of God? How do I know it's God's voice? How, how does God speak to me? Well, check this out. I'm going to go to John chapter 10. And Jesus is teaching about being the good shepherd here all throughout John chapter 10. But just the first five verses says this. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he puts forth all of his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice." A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of the stranger. I want you to understand in the shepherding culture that Jesus was teaching in what this looked like. You had all these different shepherds who had their flock of sheep. And they would take their sheep out during the day to a certain hillside to go and graze. And, and they would watch over their sheep. But at nighttime, it was much more difficult to watch your sheep whether it was thieves and robbers that wanted to come steal them or whether it was wolves or wild animals that wanted to come eat your sheep, 
It was hard at night to protect your sheep. So what all the shepherds from one area would do is they would just build one large sheepfold. It was just one large field surrounded by a wall that nobody could get into. I mean, maybe a thief could jump over the wall, but it's really hard to jump back over the wall carrying a sheep, right? So it was really hard for thieves to come in and steal. So they would build these walls, and then at night, all the shepherds would bring their sheep into the sheepfold, and there would only be one door, one way in or out of the sheepfold. And that's why Jesus says, he who enters by the door is the shepherd. And so you've got all these different flocks of sheep all intermingled inside of this large sheepfold. And then at sunrise, the shepherds would come back, and each shepherd one at a time would come to the door and would call out his sheep by name. His sheep would hear his voice, and they would come to him, and he would lead them out of the sheepfold and back out to the hills. And then the next shepherd would come in and call out his sheep by name, and his sheep would come to him. Each different flock of sheep knew their shepherd's voice, and he would call out, and only his sheep would come because only his sheep knew his voice. And so Jesus is teaching this, and so the question becomes, how do sheep who have been proven scientifically to be very non-intelligent animals, sheep are not smart, Yet how do these sheep who are not very smart know their shepherd's voice? Because of how much time they spend with their shepherd. They, they're with their shepherd all day long. He's talking to them. He's naming them. He's calling them by name. They hear his voice all day long so they know his voice and they can tell his voice apart from all the other voices. So Jesus is saying, we're the sheep. I don't know if he's just making a crack at us about our intelligence level, but Jesus is saying, we're the sheep. And so when we say, Pastor, how do I know the voice of God? The answer is, spend more time with him. The more time you spend with God, the more you will learn what his voice sounds like. The more you'll know how to respond to his voice above all the other voices. The other voices will be yelling at you, but you'll be like, no, that's the voice of a stranger. I know the voice of my shepherd. I'm going to listen to the voice of my shepherd. And so in your prayer time, I would encourage you, the first thing I would, you would begin to do is this. You know, we always say that God doesn't speak audibly anymore. There are those miraculous times in the Bible where God actually spoke out loud and everybody could hear it. And we think, man, what would it sound like if God spoke audibly? Well, I'm going to give you a little tip here on how to hear the audible voice of God. Are you guys ready for this? Here's the tip. Read the Bible out loud. There you go. Read the Bible out loud. That's what the audible voice of God sounds like because the Bible is the word of God. And so when you read it out loud, that's God speaking out loud to you. So in your prayer time, read the Bible out loud. And the more you read the Bible, the more you will understand God's voice. Because every word in the Bible, every line, every verse, every passage, every chapter, it's all the word of God. Even the boring ones, it's all the word of God. Read the Bible out loud, you'll get used to hearing the voice of God. And then when God begins to speak to you, and there's the difference and I'll probably do a whole teaching series on this sometime later this year. The Logos is the written word of God. The Rhema is the right now spoken word of God. 
So what do we do? We read the Logos. We read the written word of God out loud. We begin to learn to hear the voice of God. And then God begins to speak to us in the rhema, which is his right now spoken word. How do I know if it's the voice of God? Well, when you're just learning, you test it. Because God will never say something to you that's contrary to his word. So when you hear something and you're like, I think that's God, well, let's test it. The first way we test it is we go back to the Bible and we make sure it lines up with the Bible. Second way we test it is we put a little action to it and see what happens. I feel like God is telling me to go pray for that person. I got to summon up some courage and go pray for him. Let's see what happens. Let's see if I was right or not, right? We got to test it. We test it with the word and we test it with a little bit of action. And we start to hear the voice of God. And the more we practice it, the more time we spend with him, the more we begin to recognize his voice above all the other noise in our life. And we become intimate with the Father because he begins to speak to us. Now, what does that mean? That means that in our prayer time, we have to stop talking and let God talk. We have to get quiet and just listen for his voice. Number three, the last one is this. Let me invite the worship team to come back up. Third thing that happens as we build intimacy with God through our personal private prayer time is the transformation of our character. The more private time we spend with God, the more he transforms our character and the more we become a reflection of who he is. Again, we're using Jesus as our example. So look at this, Luke chapter 9, verses 28 through 36. Some eight days after these sayings, he, being Jesus, took along Peter and John and James, and he went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face became different, and his clothing became white and gleaming. And behold, two men were talking with him. They were Moses and Elijah, who, appearing in glory, were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions had been overcome with sleep, but when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. And as these were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, is it good for us to be here? Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not realizing what he was saying. While he was saying this, a cloud formed and began to overshadow them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And then a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. This passage is known as the transfiguration on the mountain. Jesus went up and it says while he was praying, he was transformed. It doesn't say exactly how, but it says that his face looked different and he began glowing white. He was transformed. Now Jesus was God in the flesh. He never sinned. He lived a perfect life. And so if Jesus, who was already perfect, can be transformed in his private prayer time with God, then I'm pretty sure us, in our imperfection and our great needs, we can be transformed in our personal private prayer time with God. It reminds me of Exodus chapter 34 when Moses went into the cloud in the presence of God and when he came out, his face was glowing. And by glowing, I don't mean like when we say to a pregnant lady, wow, you're glowing Right? You're, no, I mean literally his face was lit up. Like if it was dark, his face would light the room up. Like he was an actual glowing light bulb. 
and everybody could look upon him, and they were a little freaked out, so he actually started wearing a veil around when he was glowing just so people wouldn't be super weirded out by him. But when they looked at him, they knew he'd been in the presence of God because he was glowing. The transformation of our character. When people interact with us, when they look at us, when they hear us, when they get to know us, when they see our character, they're going to know we've been in the presence of God. Because in the presence of God, we are transformed. And we are more of a reflection of him and more of a reflection of his glory. We walk around more and more looking like him and sounding like him and acting like him. Because in our personal private prayer time, we are transformed just like Jesus was transformed. And if you picture us going out into our workplaces, into our neighborhoods, just glowing. People going, wow, you've been somewhere. Where have you been? And you can say, that's a great question. I've been with the Father. Let me tell you about my relationship with the Father. People are going to say, you're different. What makes you different? Because I have a relationship with God. And I spend a whole bunch of time alone with him. And he transforms me. And I hear his voice. And I pour my heart out to him. And he strengthens me. Prayer builds the intimacy with the one that we're praying to. I want to invite all of us to a personal, private prayer time. It doesn't have to start super long. Listen to this. I'm going to give you one more quote today as we wrap up. This quote is from Charles Spurgeon, another great preacher and revivalist from way back in the day. He said, true prayer is measured by weight, not length. A single groan before God may have more fullness in prayer in it than a fine oration of great length. The power of your prayer time isn't measured in the length of your prayer. It's measured in the weight of your prayer. And so I want to invite you to have some heavy alone time with God. How long should it be? There's no right answer to that. But what I would say is this. Spend a little bit more time tomorrow than you did last week. So if last week your personal private prayer time with God was zero, then you know what? Two or three minutes a day is going to be exponentially more than it was last week. And if you're at two or three minutes a day, then up it to five minutes a day. And then maybe you'll up it to 10 minutes and then maybe 15 minutes. And then who knows, maybe you'll spend an hour in your closet. But you don't have to start with an hour. If you've never been in your prayer closet alone with God, you're just going to sit there for an hour going, I have no idea what I'm doing in here. But if you just start with five minutes, sing him a worship song, pour your heart out to him, and then just sit quietly and listen and try to hear his voice. And you just start out doing that for five minutes every day. You're building intimacy with the Father. He's going to guide you. He's going to transform you. Your life is going to be radically different. But it starts there. Will you stand with me? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I just uh, pray that, Lord, your word would just capture our hearts today, that we would be stirred, Lord. We would be stirred to go find a secret place just to be with you. God, I pray that for those of us that have been following you for years or even decades, 
and that maybe we've grown a little cold, a little stale, just a little mundane in our, 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 our experience with you, that God, you would light a new passion a new passion to be with you, that today there would be a new excitement, a new desire to go find that quiet place, a new longing to experience the Father in a whole new way, uh, uh, just a sense of us that says, well, we miss you. I miss how passionate I used to be about you. Would you bring me back, God? Would you bring me back? Father, I pray that uh, right now a fire would begin to burn and that fire would begin to spread. Each one of us would be like a, a coal in that fire. God, each one of us would begin to burn. We'd begin to smolder. We would just, uh, there would just be a, a, a passion in our lives. And that fire would begin to spread as we go out, glowing from our time in your presence. We would go out. We would begin to touch our neighborhoods. We would begin to touch our workplaces. We would begin to touch our family members. And that fire would spread. Oh, God, that the closer we draw to you, the more effective we're going to be for your kingdom. The closer we draw to you, the more we're going to overcome sin. The closer we draw to you, the more we're going to experience your victory. And we stand upon your word that says that as you see us praying in the secret place, you will reward us openly. So, Father, I cry out for an open reward from a people who pray in the secret place. Let that open reward be more people coming to salvation. More people coming to know you, Jesus. More people getting healed. Let that open reward be more businesses being blessed. More people being provided for. Well, more people hearing the gospel. More people being discipled. More leaders being raised up in ministry. More marriages being restored. More children coming home. God, we cry out for that open reward from a people who live in the secret place. Oh, God, would you reward us? Oh, would you challenge us to begin in that secret place, God? We thank you for that. Let's worship together as we close today.